Chapter Fifteen, Part Three of the Suffragette: The History of the Woman's Militant Suffrage Movement by E. Sylvia Pankhurst. Part Three. She began by declaring that these proceedings had been taken out of malice and for vexation, and in order to lame in an illegitimate way a political enemy in proof of this she cited the attitude of the government towards the present woman's movement from its very beginning three years before she drew attention to the fact which had been sworn to in the witness-box that mr horace smith had allowed himself to be coerced by the government into settling in conjunction with them whether a certain lady charged in connection with this agitation was guilty and even the term of imprisonment which was to be inflicted upon her before the evidence had been heard now this policy of the government of weighting the scales against us christabel declared is not of interest merely to us but to the whole community in the course of british history we have seen many struggles for the purification of our judicial system it has been left to the twentieth century to these so-called democratic days to see our judicial system corrupted for party ends i am glad that we have been able to perform the public duty and service of doing something to attack this evil while it is in the bud dealing with the form of the summons she urged that if she and her colleagues were guilty of any offence it was that of illegal assembly but the government had not charged them with this offence because they had wished to keep their trial in the police court and to prevent it from coming before a jury they believe that by this means she said they will succeed in prejudicing the public against us we know perfectly well that up till recently the general public shunned the police court as a disgraceful place well i think that by our presence here we have done something to relieve the police court of that unenviable reputation we have done something to raise its status in the public eye the authorities dare not see this case come before a jury she continued because they know perfectly well that if it were heard before a jury of our countrymen we should be acquitted just as john burns was acquitted years ago for taking action far more serious far more dangerous to the public peace than anything we have done Yes i say they are afraid of sending us before a jury and i am quite sure that this will be obvious to the public and that the government will suffer from the underhand the unworthy and the disgraceful subterfuge by which they have removed this case to what we can only call a star chamber of the twentieth century yes this is a star chamber we are deprived of trial by jury we are also deprived of the right of appeal against the magistrate's decision very very carefully has this procedure been thought out very very cunningly has it been thought to hedge us in on every side and to deprive us of our rights in the matter though we are rendered liable to six months imprisonment we are yet denied the privileges in making our defence that people liable to three months imprisonment enjoy we shall be told in the house of commons no doubt we have been told the same thing before now that we are only bound over we need not go to prison if we go to prison we have only ourselves to thank if the case is decided against us if we are called upon to be bound over it must be remembered that that amounts to imprisoning us and that therefore the authorities cannot possibly escape their responsibility in sending us to prison by saying that we could be at liberty if we liked magna carta has been practically torn up by the present government we consider that it is not we who ought to be in the dock to-day but the people who are responsible for such a monstrous state of affairs then she went on to deal with the reasons for issuing the bill we do not deny at all that we issued this bill none of us three have wished to deny responsibility we did issue the bill we did cause it to be circulated 
we did put upon it the words come and help the suffragettes to rush the house of commons for these words we do not apologize it is very well known that we took this action in order to press forward a claim which according to the british constitution we are well entitled to make after all we are seeking only to enforce the observance of the law of the land that taxation and representation must go together and that one who obeys the laws must have a share in making them therefore when we claim the parliamentary vote we are asking the government to abandon the illegal practice of denying representation to those who have a perfect right to it i want here to insist she said upon the legality of the action which we have taken we have a perfectly constitutional right to go ourselves in person to lay our grievances before the house of commons and as one witness an expert student of history pointed out to you we are but pursuing a legitimate course which in the old days women pursued without the smallest interference by the authorities in regard to the meaning of the word rush she pointed out that a large number of witnesses had been examined and that all these witnesses had testified that according to their interpretation of the word rush no violence was counselled the word rush christabel said appears to be very much the rage just now we find that at a meeting of the league for preservation of swiss scenery mr richard whiting discussing the question of swiss railways suggested that a general rush to the italian alps might induce the swiss to listen to reason well i do not think that any one here would suggest that mr whiting meant to offer any violence to the swiss in his use of the word rush he meant to imply that a speedy advance should be made to the italian alps then we have mr mckinnon wood counselling the electors to rush the county council and get a lady elected to that body i want to submit that rush as a transitive verb cannot mean attack assail make a raid upon or anything of that kind in support of her contentions christabel quoted the definitions given by many dictionaries including the century dictionary chambers english dictionary and farmer and henley's dictionary of slang which gave amongst other meanings of the word rush an eager demand urgent pressure of business hurry or hasten it may be unduly to go forward over hastily for example a number of bills are rushed through parliament or a case is rushed through a law court one of the definitions ran a rusher a go-ahead person whilst on the rush was said to mean in a hurry and with a rush with spirit or energetically christabel also displayed a little label which had been sent to her during the progress of the case it stated rush by first train leaving and was used in america for parcels required to reach their destination early she reminded the magistrate of mrs may's comparison of the phrase rush the house of commons with a dash for the pole saying every one knows that you cannot get to the pole in a hurry but you can try to get there in a hurry and that is what a dash to the pole means every one knows that with a timid government like the present having at its service the entire metropolitan police force if one woman says she is going to rush the house of commons there will be an immense number of police to prevent her doing it nobody then having regard to the facts i have mentioned thought the woman would rush the house of commons but they knew that the woman would be there to show their indignation against the government and i am glad to say that they were there it may mean six months imprisonment but i think it is worth it we are anxious to know by what statute it is illegal to go to the house of commons walk up the steps and make our way to the stranger's entrance 
we should like to know whether that is an illegal thing to do and if it is not illegal to go at a slow pace we should like to know whether it is illegal to go at a quick pace because that is what the word rush means to rush the house of commons is to go with all possible speed inside the house of commons and i hope that we shall be told by what statute we have contravened by doing it ourselves or by sending or inviting others to do it miss pankhurst next referred to the speeches made in trafalgar square on october eleventh she was glad that the prosecution had raised this point because it was all in the defendant's favour the speeches made at that meeting were made in interpretation of the famous handbill and all the witnesses who had heard those speeches not excepting mr lloyd george himself were agreed that they contained nothing inflammatory and no incitement to violence whatsoever christabel continued it is not because of anything serious that occurred on october thirteenth or was expected to occur that we are here we are here in order that we may be kept out of the way for some months and may cease from troubling the government for as long a period as they can find it in them or for which the public will allow them to deprive us of our liberty whilst hosts of witnesses had testified to the orderly character of the crowd she pointed out that two police officers only had been put forward on the other side the prosecution had been unable to bring forward a single impartial person but police evidence appeared to be all that was considered in the police court and she cried out passionately it seems to me that the prosecution the witnesses the authorities the magistrates are all on one side they are all in the same box and the prisoner charged with an offence is absolutely helpless whatever facts he may bring forward it is indeed a waste of time to bring evidence over the doors of this court ought to be the motto abandon hope all ye who enter here we do not care for ourselves because imprisonment is nothing to us but when we think of the thousands of helpless creatures who come into this monstrous place with nobody to help them nobody to plead for them and we know perfectly well that they are found guilty before they have a chance of defending themselves the injustice that is done in these courts is almost too terrible to contemplate we saw then those helpless creatures as we had done so often and as christabel called up their image her voice broke and there were tears on her face i am thankful to think she said triumphantly that we have been able by submitting ourselves to the absurd proceedings that are conducted here to ventilate this fearful wrong christabel next developed the contention that in the course which they had taken the women had followed historical precedent and had been encouraged by statesmen and especially by liberal statesmen the reform acts had been obtained by disorder prior to eighteen thirty two the mansion house the custom house the bishop's palace the excise office three prisons four toll-houses and forty-two private dwellings and warehouses had been burnt amongst other things the breaking down of the hyde park railings won the reform act of eighteen sixty seven in eighteen eighty four there were the aston park riots john bright threatened to crowd the streets from westminster bridge to charing cross lord randolph churchill advised the voters of ulster and voters have other means of urging their opinions to resort to the supreme arbitrament of force he said ulster will fight and ulster will be right and as a result of his words dangerous riots almost amounting to warfare occurred yet he was never prosecuted joseph chamberlain threatened to march one hundred thousand men on london but no proceedings were taken against him the gladstone of those days christabel declared was less absurd hesitating and cowardly than the present gladstone and his colleagues and therefore he took the statesmanlike action of pressing forward the reform bill instead of taking proceedings against mr chamberlain 
even a vote of censure moved upon mr chamberlain in the house of commons was defeated john burns whose language was far more violent than any that the woman had used was tried at the old bailey and acquitted he said in his speech that he was a rebel because he was an outlaw well that fact will support us in all we have done if we go to far greater lengths than we have done yet we shall only be following in the footsteps of a man who is now a member of the government following out this line of thought christabel went on mr herbert glastone has told us in the speech i read to him that the victory of argument alone is not enough as we cannot hope to win by force of argument alone it is necessary to overcome the savage resistance of the government to our claim for citizenship by other means he says go on fight as the men did and then when we show our power and get the people to help us he takes proceedings against us in a manner which would have been disgraceful even in the old days of coercion and which would be thought disgraceful if it were practised in russia then there is mr lloyd george who if any man has done so has set us an example his whole career has been a series of revolts he has said that if we do not get the vote mark these words we should be justified in adopting the methods which men had to adopt namely in pulling down the hyde park railings then as a sign of the way in which men politicians deal with men's interests we have heard lord morley saying we are in india in the presence of a living movement and a movement for what for objects which we ourselves have taught them to think are desirable objects and unless we can somehow reconcile order with satisfaction of those ideas and aspirations the fault will not be theirs it will be ours it will mark the breakdown of british statesmanship apply those words to our case remember that we are demanding of liberal statesmen that which for us is the greatest boon and the most essential right remember that we are asking for votes that we are demanding the franchise and if the present government cannot reconcile order with our demand for the vote without delay it will mark the breakdown of their statesmanship yes their statesmanship has broken down already they are disgraced it is only in this court that they have the smallest hope of getting bolstered up turning finally from the magistrate to the great world of public opinion outside she finished on a defiant note caring nothing whether the abuse which she had heaped upon his petty court and its unworthy procedure should cause him to increase her sentence ten or even a hundredfold mr curtis bennett sat with brows knit and an angry flush on his face and the whole court was wrought up to the most intense excitement but now it was mrs pankhurst's turn to speak and her clear even tones and absolute calm of manner created if possible an even deeper impression sir i want to endorse what my daughter has said that in my opinion we are proceeded against in this court by malice on the part of the government she began quietly and firmly i want to protest as strongly as she has done i want to put before you that the very nature of your duties in this court although i wish to say nothing disrespectful to you render you unfitted to deal with a question which is a political question as a body of jurymen could do we are not women who would come into this court as ordinary lawbreakers mrs drummond here is a woman of very great public spirit she is an admirable wife and mother and although a married woman she has maintained herself for many years and has acquired for herself the admiration and respect of all the people with whom she has had business relations i do not think i need speak about my daughter her abilities and earnestness of purpose are very well known to you they are young women i am not sir 
you and i are older and have both had very great and very wide experience of life under different conditions before you decide what is to be done with us i should like you to hear from me a statement of what has brought me into this dock this morning i was brought up by a father who taught me that his children boys and girls alike had a duty towards their country they must be good citizens i married a man whose wife i was but also his comrade in all his public life he was as you know a distinguished member of your own profession but he felt it his duty in addition to do political work to interest himself in the welfare of his fellow-countrymen and countrywomen throughout the whole of my marriage i was associated with him in his public work in addition to that as soon as my children were of an age to permit me to leave them i took to public duties i was for many years a guardian of the poor for many years i was a member of the school board and when that was abolished i was elected to the educational committee my experience in doing that work brought me in contact with many of my own sex who in my opinion found themselves in deplorable positions because of the state of the english law as it affects women you in this court must have had experience of women who would never have come here if married women were afforded by law that claim for maintenance by their husbands which i think in justice should be given them when they give up their economic independence and are unable to earn a subsistence for themselves you know how inadequate are the marriage laws to women you must know sir as i have found out in my experience of public life how abominable atrocious and unjust are the divorce laws as they affect women you know very well that the married woman has no legal right to the guardianship of her children then too the illegitimacy laws you know that a woman sometimes commits the dreadful crime of infanticide while her partner the man who should share her punishment gets off scot-free ever since my girlhood a period of about thirty years i have belonged to organizations to secure for women that political power which i have felt essential to bringing about those reforms which women need we have tried to be what you call womanly we have tried to use feminine influence and we have seen that it is of no use men who have been impatient have invariably got reforms i have seen that men are encouraged by law to take advantage of the helplessness of women many women have thought as i have and for many many years have tried by that influence of which we have so often been reminded to alter these laws but have found that that influence counts for nothing when we went to the house of commons we used to be told when we were persistent that members of parliament were not responsible to women they were responsible only to voters and that their time was too fully occupied to reform those laws although they agreed that they needed reforming we women have presented larger petitions in support of our enfranchisement than were ever presented for any other reform we have succeeded in holding greater public meetings than men have ever held for any reform in spite of the difficulty which women have in throwing off their natural diffidence that desire to escape publicity which we have inherited from generations of our foremothers we have broken through that we have faced hostile mobs at street corners because we were told that we could not have that representation for our taxes which men have won unless we converted the whole of the country to our side because we have done this we have been misrepresented we have been ridiculed we have had contempt poured upon us and the ignorant mob incited to offer us violence which we have faced unarmed and unprotected by the safeguards which cabinet ministers have i am here to take upon myself now sir as i wish the prosecution had put upon me the full responsibility for this agitation in its present phase 
i want to address you as a woman who has performed the duties of a woman and in addition has performed the duties which ordinary men have to perform by earning a living for her children and educating them i want to make you realize that it is a point of honor that if you decide as i hope you will not decide to bind us over that we shall not sign any undertaking as the member of parliament did who was before you yesterday perhaps his reason for signing that undertaking may have been that the prime minister had given some assurance to the people he claimed to represent that something should be done for them we have had no such assurance so sir if you decide against us to-day to prison we must go because we feel we should be going back to the hopeless condition this movement was in three years ago if we consented to be bound over to keep the peace which we have never broken if you decide to bind us over although the government have admitted that we are political offenders we shall be treated as pickpockets and drunkards and i want you if you can as a man to realize what that means to women like us we are driven to do this we are determined to go on with this agitation because we feel in honor bound just as it was the duty of your forefathers it is our duty to make this world a better place for women than it is to-day now sir we have not wished to waste your time in any way we have wished to make you realize that there is another side to the case than that put before you by the prosecution we want you to use your power i do not know what value there is in the legal claims that have been put before you as to your power to decide this case but we want you sir if you will to send us to be tried in some place more suitable for the trial of political offenders than an ordinary police court you must realize how futile it is to attempt to settle this question by binding us over to keep the peace you have tried it it has failed others have tried to do it and have failed if you had power to send us to prison not for six months but for six years for sixteen years or for the whole of our lives the government must not think that they could stop this agitation it would go on lastly i want to draw your attention to the self-restraint which was shown by our followers on the night of the thirteenth after we had been arrested it only shows that our influence over them is very great because i think if they had yielded to their natural impulses there might have been a breach of the peace they were very indignant but our words have always been be patient exercise self-restraint show our so-called superiors that the criticism of women being hysterical is not true use no violence offer yourselves to the violence of others we are going to win our women have taken that advice if we are in prison they will continue to take that advice well sir that is all i have to say to you we are here not because we are law-breakers we are here in our efforts to become law-makers the angry red had faded from mr curtis bennett's face and whilst mrs pankhurst was speaking he kept his hand up to it and at one point we saw it quiver and for a moment he hid his eyes some of the big burly policemen whom we knew so well and who except in the raids when they were obliged to do their duty were always so kind and jovial towards us were openly in tears then mrs drummond looking paler and more serious than is her wont rose up to speak her turn her voice was a few notes thinner and higher pitched and like her words it seemed to be stripped of all emotion and to be instinct with the clearest and most logical common sense not only what she said but her whole personality was so honest sincere and unaffected that she seemed to add the one thing lacking to the completeness of that presentment of the great unanswerable case for woman's suffrage 
her concluding words were an assurance that the agitation which was spreading and growing all over the country would go on as before i can speak on good authority she said for we have left everything in working order and we shall find the movement stronger than when we left it because the action which the government have taken has fired the bosoms of women who are determined to take up the flag that we have had to lay down to-day when mrs drummond had finished mr curtis bennett began speaking quite cheerfully and as though the whole affair were an amusing discussion between friends and had no unpleasant side to it during the first part of his speech he reviewed the arguments on both sides of the case and as he referred meanwhile to the pages on which he had taken his notes he so frequently smiled as though they recalled amusing and rather pleasant memories to him that many people made up their minds that he was either about to state a case for a higher court as the defendants wished or to discharge them altogether all at once however his tone changed and he began to speak hurriedly with lowered voice and increased severity of manner and went on to say that there could be no doubt that it was for that court and that court alone to deal with the offence for which the defendants had been summoned and that there could be no doubt but that the handbill which the defendants circulated was liable to cause something to occur which might and probably would and in a breach of the peace the chief commissioner of police was bound to keep parliament square and the vicinity free and open and the commissioner of police had felt that it would be impossible to do that if crowds assembled together in order to help and to see the women rush the house of commons therefore each of the two older defendants would be bound over in their own recognizances of one hundred pounds and they must find two sureties and fifty pounds each to keep the peace for twelve months or in default must undergo three months imprisonment in the case of the younger defendant her own recognizances would be fifty pounds with two sureties of twenty-five pounds each the alternative being ten weeks imprisonment Footnotes. 30. This, as Mr. Jarvis afterwards admitted, was a mistake. Mrs. Pankhurst really said that women had no representation in the House of Commons. End of chapter 15